0: Genesis chapter 26 and again I want to minister this morning from this chapter in the manner in which God quickened this particular scripture to, to me and revealed it there's lots of different things you can draw from this from the text that we're looking at because it contains many glorious truths but I want to communicate that which was uh, uh, heightened uh, to me in, uh, in in its context with you this morning, and so the motivation really has to do behind this message has to do with the next generation. You now, lock like your mind into that: the next generation, and I'm talking in the context of Christian families where you have people that grow born into and grow up in Christian homes. I'm talking about those that have grown up, for the most part, in the church. And so I'm talking about uh, the next generation in that context, as we will examine and see in the Scriptures. Because we know that growing up in a Christian home uh, doesn't automatically make one a Christian. And nor does it automatically give us an understanding of the depth of biblical truth. And reality, we tend to feed for the most part on the on the milk because uh, you know we 're just young and we 're young kids growing up and we 're hearing lots of different things and we 're taking it in you know God works in different ways, but still we get to a point in our lives in our development from a young adult from a youth to a young adult to ultimately adulthood and uh, and again we 're dealing with things that are not just going to be automatic to our lives but we 're going to have to change our approach, we're going to have to get a hunger and a desire for God personally and begin to pursue him in ways that we hadn't, you know, as we just kind of grew up in church and just kind of went along for the ride. Now all of a sudden we have to jump in the driver's seat and that's a whole different dynamic. So we have to dig deeper. Now don't get me wrong, there is a blessing that, as we'll see in our text, there is a blessing. That comes in growing up in a Christian home, and so you will. uh, If you haven't learnt that, uh, for those that have, well, you you will. I pray eventually come to appreciate it more and more as you go on in the Lord. But um, and uh, I want to just acknowledge that because there is that truth. But the deeper things of God and of the Spirit of God. And not so much just bestowed upon us, but these are are things that must be appropriated ourselves. And so we can't live uh, on the testimony and the experience of others this morning. And that's what happens, I guess, when you grow up in church. You hear about all the testimonies, you see all the people, and you kind of grow up, and then all of a sudden, as you begin to exercise your independence, there's going to have to come a time when, if you're going to embrace, if you're going to experience the deeper realities of Christ, then you're going to have to seek. You're going to have to dig deeper and appropriate those things for yourself. You see, because what, even I can speak this for myself now, I'm going to be 50 this year. That, that sounds weird. But anyway, <laughs> um, I'm older, I'm getting older. My hair is demonstrating that. Yours too, calm, and the others are already there. But, um, And I can see a few others there in the back, so don't laugh. But <laughs> Sorry, I'm not speaking to anyone specific. But we have... As Christians over a long period of time, we have fought for those things that we have possessed in Christ, those things that we have appropriated in Christ. And so we know the sufferings and we know we're a generation that have, uh, through our experiences, uh, we have had fought hard having to fight the good fight of faith and, and endure the sufferings that are associated with that, through the trials and there have been instances in our lives where we're, we've had to dig deep, where, there's a, where we need God and so we find ourselves on our knees because there's no other option and we're desperate and we're crying out to God. And we're relentlessly reading and studying the scriptures because we want the deeper, we want to understand, we want to know more. But you see, that's what, that, and so what we have didn't just happen automatically. These are things that were appropriated through various circumstances and sometimes deep suffering that gave way to these things and I would say in the most instance that's the principle how it works. And so I want to examine this in the scripture because you don't find gold on the surface. You have to dig deep, right? And for those that even venture on that level, there's blood, sweat and tears involved. So the point that I'm making this morning is that there's a process, that there are principles. And our text will teach us this. I want to identify them in the particular text that we're going to look at. And I've titled my message this morning, Redigging the Wells. Note the word, Redigging the Wells. Because the wells that were dug by our forefathers, those that have gone before us, our parents or elders in the church or whatever else, you can't live off that. You have to dig deep for yourself. And this is what we're going to learn as we examine the scriptures this morning in Genesis chapter 26. Let's read. We're going to look at different aspects of the chapter, but we'll read from verse 15. The Bible says, Now the Philistines... Had stopped up all the wells, which his father's servants, that is Isaac's servants, had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah, and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarrelled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Ezek, because they quarrelled with him there. Then they dug another well, and they quarrelled over that one also. So he called the name Sitnah. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then we went up from there to Bathsheba. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. There's a lot of well digging here. And uh, we'll see why. But what I'm going to touch upon this morning is profound truth, and I pray that uh, you would identify it. And it doesn't just apply... I mean, obviously, I've touched upon the next generation. But spiritually speaking... You know, we, as, we are Christians here, and it doesn't matter our age, but we have, you know, we read about church history and forefathers of the Christian faith, and we hear about some of the great stories of the men of God of old and, and how God moved and, and just the depth of their understanding of knowledge of God and all those things. But you see, even for them, there was a cost. It just didn't come. And so we can learn from them as well and be challenged in the same ways. So there's lots of different ways to appropriate the truths that and principles that we're going to touch upon. But notice in verse 15, it says that the Philistines had stopped up the wells which Isaac's servant or father had dug, uh, that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham. And so the Philistines are obviously representative of the enemy. And the enemy is just hell-bent, obviously, on destroying God's work and destroying people's lives. The Bible says he comes to steal, kill and destroy. And so the Philistines are symbolic of the enemy and uh, here it is, we are told that Abraham had dug wells previously but these wells had been filled with earth by the Philistines. Now we know in scripture the Philistines are representative of the enemy but when we talk about wells we think about water. And again, when we think of water in the scripture, we're identifying with the Spirit of God, the water of life that Jesus spoke of. We find it in the Old Testament. We find it in the New Testament. And water is representative of the Holy Spirit, the life of God flowing and flooding into our hearts and into our lives and into our spirit and into our soul. And so if we're going to access that water, in this sense, then obviously the wells are going to have to be redug, and this is where we're seeing uh, this uh, begin to manifest. And so here are the prevailing circumstances, and I want you to look at verse number one, if you can, of chapter twenty-six, just to give give greater context. It says in verse one, there was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And so here it is. It's, a, you know, it's, it's literally a second famine. Who knows? There's probably been many others and I'm no doubt there was. But here's Isaac. He finds himself in a time of famine. As it was when his father Abraham had been in that place. They had experienced a time of famine. And so this is the nature of how, and it was where Abraham was in the midst of that famine that he dug those wells and he accessed that water and uh, that source of life. And so too we're seeing now this same thing replay with Isaac being in a similar circumstance where Isaac now has to redig those wells. And so when we talk about a famine, we understand this again in the word of God that always relates to... Um, uh, a famine of the word of God, a famine uh, of, of God's provision and sustenance of life, because that's our source of life this morning. We don't feed on the things of this world. That is death. And that's what the scripture is talking about. We're not looking to the world to supply our needs. If we are looking to the world to supply our needs... And this is the danger, especially for the next generation growing up in church as they begin to dabble uh, in the world and fiddle with things and see what you know, they can maybe taste and see. But nothing, there's nothing there. You can't enter into this compromised, one foot in the world, one foot in the church type of existence because you're never going to dig deep. You're never going to discover the depths of God and of the life of God uh, in, in that context. And eventually, you will come to a point of famine in your life. You will begin to dry up. You'll say, well, look, I go to church, I, I, I attend Bible study, I maybe pick up my Bible every now and then and read it. But you're going through the superficial things that you thought were going to sustain you, but they're not going to sustain you because you're going to have to dig deeper. In church, you just you receive the blessing of those things. And so you were, you were feeding off all of those things. But now, as you grow older, you realise that, wait a minute, I can't just live in this manner. It's not sufficient. And, that you, uh, and so a famine will begin to, you'll begin to experience a spiritual famine in your own life. You begin to ask questions like, there's got to be more to God than this. Is this what Christianity is all about? and you can eat and this is where people get disillusioned and they turn their back on God and they and they walk away and they begin to give themselves not to the wells of water that come through through the eternal life of God's spirit but rather they look to the world for their sustenance and as Jesus says you can dig from that well but you will always dig again dig again and dig again, but there's a life that comes from the Spirit of God this morning that is a fountain that springs up into everlasting life. It's a river, of living waters that flow. And that's what we want, amen? And again, through the Holy Spirit. So the world's never going to supply what we need. You know, isn't it interesting that when God took Israel out of Egypt, the Bible says that he led them through the wilderness and he allowed them to hunger Think about that. He brought them into a time of famine. He allowed them to hunger and to thirst. And he says he did that deliberately. And he says, why did he do it? Because he wanted to teach them that men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so this is the spiritual famine that Isaac is now engaged engaged in. And so this is where we will find ourselves. And I can tell you now, it doesn't, I'm not just addressing the, the next generation. I'm talking to all of us this morning because we can all identify with these principles. They find their expression in all facets of our Christian walk. And I'm sure you can identify with this. And so you've, we've got to get to that point where it's like, I need more of God. I want more of God. You see, like I said, there is a blessing that comes with growing up in a, in a Christian family this morning. I mean, look at verse 12. It says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the, the men began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. You know, there's a blessing that is upon uh, children that grow up in Christian homes. And you say, "Oh well, I don't really see it." Well, the world sees it because you know what? They begin to see this. Oh my gosh, these, these these people have got some worth ethics. They've got some in, some integrity. Oh, I can actually trust them. And so uh, you know, so they're blessed. And that blessing becomes manifest in ways as they venture out into the world and into the work life and a school and whatever it is that goes on. But the world begins to mark something different. There's something different about you because, yeah, you grew up in a, in a dynamic where you were blessed just as, and prospered as a result of that. And that's what Isaac did. He was prospering. Why? Because of his father Abraham and the covenant and the blessings that were being... Tra- 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 um, um, transferred to the next generation but that was not sufficient Isaac was learning that he needed more just like Abraham and just like we do ourselves. So there will come a time in our lives where we'll experience famine spiritually speaking and we will develop a greater hunger and thirst for God and you begin to realise you know what especially for those who grow up in Christian homes, you begin to realise, you know, I can't live off the experiences of my parents. I've heard the stories. I've heard their testimonies. I've heard of the wonderful things God has done for them. But like, uh, but like Gideon, you say, where are all the miracles that our fathers saw? I need that reality. I need to know Christ. I need the deeper, that, a deeper walk with him, a closer walk with him. So to do that, you're going to have to dig your own well You see Isaac followed in the footsteps of his father and he needed to discover these truths for himself. The wells were filled up with dirt and water was not accessible. So what does he do? He begins to re-dig those wells. And so he dug them for himself. Now, I said that there was a, pro- there was a process and there are principles associated with this. So I just want to consider it with you for just a moment as we identify this. Look at Isaac in verse 17. Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. He's in Gerar. In Hebrew, that word Gerar means a rolling, rolling country. Or in other words, he's in the valley of Gerar. And there's the rolling hills of that region and, uh, and so, you know, he, he's, he's a pilgrim, he's sojourning, he's not of this world, he's obviously uh, uh, seeking the, the promises of God and the, the purposes of God that has uh, been the promised child and all that's associated with Abraham. But see, this is a picture of life because life is like that. You know, you have the rolling hills. We live in the Valley of Grah, and sometimes we're in the valley. Sometimes you may feel as though you're on the mountaintop of life. You have good experiences. You have bad experiences. But you be a Christian long enough and serve God long enough, you will experience hardship. You will experience suffering. And I'm not saying that to be pessimistic and to take anything away. I'm just telling you that there's a reality, and then all of a sudden you're going to have to dig deeper. You're going to be challenged personally. And so in that valley of Gerar, this is where Isaac now finds himself having to re-dig those wells. He finds himself, if you want to call it, at a low point in his life. There's a famine. Even though he's prospering and in the valley there's things that are going on and now he has to find a source of water. And it's really at a point, that's where we begin to hunger for God. That's why God led Israel in the wilderness and allowed them to hunger. That's why God brings us into certain circumstances. He lets sin ravage us. He lets our circumstances humble us. He lets life humble us until we get to a point where we begin to hunger and thirst for God. And so, you know what, now I'm going to set myself to seek him in a way that I have never done before. But it comes, it comes from a low point. It comes from a, a, a place... We're we're now having to contemplate our own lives and say, well, what am I doing? Where am I going? I can't keep living like this, doing this. It's either all in or all out. And so Isaac is at that point. And so look at verse 18. I mean, in verse 16, uh, they they reject him. Abimelech notes that uh, Isaac's blessed And he says, go away from us, for you're much mightier than us. So he's experiencing rejection. He probably wanted to be friends with them and coexist. But, you know, once you start talking about God and showing your cards as a Christian, beware. Because those acquaintances of yours, they're not going to be as friendly as they once were. Because if you're going to start preaching the gospel and talking about God and declaring these things, they're going to say, oh, get away from us. Come on. Go. so Isaac departed verse 17 and verse 18 and Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham he called them by the names which his father had called them so here he is he's he's digging up the wells of water notice the word wells there's multiple it's not just one well Again, we'll, we'll, we'll identify this, and he names them after the name that his father called them. In other words, he's following in the footsteps of his of his father. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. You say, "Oh, those old Christians! They don't know what they're talking about." They know exactly what they're talking about. Well, no, because they have lived and they have walked and they have trod those paths. They've had to dig those wells. And so um, now you're embarking on that same journey and here's Isaac, he redigs the wells and he renames them after the name that Abraham gave them. Why? Because he experienced the same things and discovered the same truths. So here he is. Let's see. What does he call it? Verse 19. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of run- running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Ezek, because they quarreled with him there. So here it is, Isaac and his servants, they dig the well. And uh, the, 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 the Abimelech uh, servants and the people, they come and they quarrel over the well. And they say, No, nah, it's not yours. It's, we're going to take that. And they quarrel over it. And then it says, look, now let's just follow this. I'm not going to draw on these truths just yet. We'll go back to it. But let's just look at what's happening, this progression. So here it is uh, in verse 21. They dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And so here it is. This word Sitna means to strife, means enmity. So now, not only were they quarreling in the first, over the first well, they redig another well and now uh, the, the, it's escalated and there's strife and now they're at enmity with one another. I mean, this is it's getting serious. So let's look at what happens. Verse 22. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. See so here it is. This is the progression. So now they've gotten to this point after they've quarreled, and after now they've made their enemies. And now they're at a point where they've redug in this well, and there's, there's no quarreling over it. And then uh, Isaac says, The Lord has made room for us. And so in other words, uh, uh, and he says we, 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 we began to be fruitful in the land. And so I began to think about that because here's the first sign of fruitfulness that's coming as a result of that water that's flowing. Because now they've made room for God or God has made room for them in the land and there's fruitfulness that's beginning to come about as a result of that. Isn't it interesting that it's coming out of these quarrelsome and difficult and trying circumstances? And as I thought about that, I was thinking about Joseph. You remember Joseph and um, as a, uh, 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 his brothers, how they sold him into slavery and how they uh, told their father that he was dead? Well, but uh, and all the rest of it. And then Joseph for... For many, many years he's in Egypt, but God obviously works in the circumstances and whatever else. But then Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And uh, Joseph, who saw out of all the evil that his brothers intended, that God meant it for good. And he gets married and he has a child that names him Ephraim. The word Ephraim means fruitfulness. Fruitfulness, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. See where is that point of quarrelsome and uh, and 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 trial and pain and suffering, and you say, God, what are you doing? God is working. God's making room for us. Hallelujah, because you are digging, and you don't realise it at the time sometimes. But you see, Ephraim. that's why Joseph named him Ephraim, because God made him fruitful in the land of his affliction. And he said, everything that he meant for evil, God meant it for good. And he saw the hand of God in all of those circumstances. And uh, in other words, uh, he, uh, God had made room for him and he was drinking from the well, so to speak. And that's, these principles in Scripture, they're, they're, they're somehow it's not like it just applies to them. This is exactly how God works and it applies to our lives. And so, the scripture goes further. Look at verse 23. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Praise God. He goes to Beersheba, and this is a very significant place in Scripture, as we'll see in a moment, and there God manifests himself to Isaac in the same way that he manifested himself to Abraham. And in the same way he will manifest himself to us, hallelujah, and so here it is, uh, they're at Beersheba. Now this is interesting, this is a place where verse 25 says that, that Isaac built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord and they dug another well. And the, here they are and this is where God meets with him. And this is important because this goes back to in, uh, Genesis um, Chapter 21, remember we're following the footsteps of Abraham here. And uh, in chapter 21, we have the same story where Abraham is uh, with Abimelech. And um, they come to this place, Beersheba, in verse 31. And there's a, again, there's a well that is dug in verse 30. And, uh, um, and the word Beersheba, by the way, means uh, an oath or seven. Uh, and this is why you pick up the seven ewe lambs and, and, and that, that, na- that word Where the seven represents completion, perfection. And then you have an oath that is sworn. And look at verse 30. And you will take these seven new lambs from my hand and they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose and uh, and went so forth. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord. The everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. And so here's Abraham, and here's now Isaac at Beersheba. He's calling upon God, and God manifests to him in the same way that he manifested to his father at that, po- at that place, and reveals himself in the covenant and reassures him. And he is, you know, I mean, could you imagine Isaac having met with God in this manner? He was excited. Blessed, strengthened. And so Isaac had an assurance because he had heard from God, not about God. There's a big difference there, amen? Isaac had heard from God, not about God. And that's what we need. We need to hear from God, every individual. You can't hear, it's not enough just to hear about God or know about God. You must know him, you must hear from him. And God manifested himself to Isaac. Now, what we've just identified in Isaac's experience sets forth a process and principles that relate to our own experience and walk with God. And I want to demonstrate this to you uh, and show you how it works. Because as Christians, we're going to have to go deeper. As we see, the the title of the sermon, Redigging Those Wells. The process is unavoidable. So the Bible says that you can drink from the waters of life freely. But it is a cost, and that cost is that you're going to have to take up your cross and follow him. You're going to have to lose your life to find it. You're going to have to say, here I am, Lord, and present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And we're not going to find the everlasting God and the water of life in this world. And there comes a time in our lives where we're saying, you know what, I need more of God. I'm I'm tired of the ritual and routine. You can easily fall into the ritual and routine of religion. Come to church on Sunday, praise the Lord, go through the motions. Finish church, or we'll go. Yeah, it's easy to go through those motions. But you know what? I've gone through those motions, and I felt dry. Have you ever been to that place? It's like I can't live like this. There's got to be more to it. And there is, praise the Lord. So that when, because because when if if we're all tapping into that well of life, I mean, when we come together as the church, there's a different dynamic. There's life, and it's a life that flows from us, not from the pulpit here. Although you know, it'd be good if I had it. <laughs> I pray God uh, gives it to me, and that it's it's manifest. But at the same time, we 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 need to go deeper. And so when we experience our own famines in our lives, we too have to follow the same footsteps as Isaac. And we have to redig the wells that sometimes the Philistines have stopped. Because if we're going to have what others have had, we're going to have to get on our knees and seek God. We're going to have to get serious and go deeper into the Word, not just, you know, read a few verses or a chapter a day or a week or whatever. You have to get into the Word. You have to get into prayer. And so when we start getting serious about these things, seeking God, serving God, reading our Bible more, praying more, and our passion becomes all-consuming and we become single-minded and fixed and focused on God and say, God, I need a touch from you. I can't go through these motions anymore. I can't go through the rituals of religion. I need the reality of Christ in my life. And it's at that place that we begin to make some decisions in our lives. And you know what? You start digging and you discover a little bit of water. And you know what? There's quarrelling. Quarrelling. And I was thinking about this in various contexts. I was thinking about Jesus and he's talking now about the sinner who comes to Christ, salvation, experiences the water of life. What did Jesus say? He said, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. Let me read it to you. Do you suppose that Luke 12 verse 51, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but division, rather division. From now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against his son, son against his father, mother against daughter-in-law, daughter against mother. Um. Oh, sorry, daughter, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Enmity, quarrelling. When I first became a Christian, I began to quarrel with people around me. People saying, "What are you doing, Gary? You've gone crazy." And then all of a sudden, I had family members that became more concerned about me for you know. They weren't concerned when I was on drugs, hanging out. You know, with my face drunk. Uh, no one no, came and worried about me. Then now I'm talking about Jesus, and it's, oh, something's wrong with you, Gary. And so, uh, and and this is and it led to quarrels. I had I found myself quarrelling with friends, with family, and I can and I can tell you I've seen it over and over. There's that quarrelling that comes, and you're like, I just want to drink from the well of life. I've just tasted of the Lord, and He's good. And so what happens is you begin to quarrel. You see, when you begin to dig a well, the world won't be happy. The world's not going to stand by and just say, oh yeah, you're right, keep going. No, no, they're going to start quarreling with you. And this is what Jesus is pointing out. And Jesus knows that Isaac goes and he calls it ezek, quarrel. Then he digs another well and they call it sitna, which means strife and enmity. And again, Jesus speaks about this, a father against his son. I against his division, enmity. Jesus said, Don't be surprised if the world what? Hates you. Hate. See, the, we're at enmity with the world because we, we don't live on those uh, and, and, and find sustenance of life in those things. We're digging because we're feeding, and our sustenance of life is from the water of life. And so we find ourselves in, uh, in quarrelling further. And I was thinking about this aspect too. And it's not just like I'm speaking now in the context of the sinner and salvation. But, you know, also this can happen amongst Christians. All of a sudden you have a group of Christians and then all of a sudden, you know, they're all kind of compromised living worldly, are not doing all that they should be doing in pleasing God. And then one says, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm going to get serious. I've had enough of that. I'm not going to go down and do this anymore. I'm not going to go visit that place. I'm not going to do this. And, and all of a sudden they go, who do you think you are? You think you're holy? Huh? You think you, you're Mr. Holy now? No, no, I just want to seek God. I just want to get serious with God. That's all. I've just had enough of these things. I'm hungry and thirsty for God. I can't live like this anymore. And then all of a sudden, uh, you, you know, you start uh, taking up stand. you make stands concerning righteousness and holiness. And, uh, you know, I'm not, you may, uh, again, you're just, but your, your intent now is just because you want to get serious. You've had enough. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, you know, these, uh, the, these carnal, worldly Christians will begin to contend with you and quarrel with you. And I've seen that happen too. And this can be painful experiences. No one likes to quarrel. No one likes strife. No one likes making enemies. But these things happen and that's the reality. That's what the scripture is telling us and showing us. And then Isaac, for the third time, he, he, remember he, made, he builds a third well and he calls it Rehoboth, which means God has made room for us. And really, that's what ends up happening. When you set yourself to seek God, when you draw near to God, the Bible says He will draw near to you. And all of a sudden, you begin to tap into something that you didn't even know existed. There's a reality to Christ that goes beyond intellectualism. There's a reality to Christ that goes beyond formalism. There's a reality to Christ that goes beyond all the externalism. And all of a sudden, you have this life of Christ in you, Christ is our life. hallelujah. Amen. And you know, all of a sudden, you've, God's made room for you and you're experiencing you're dwelling in that place of fruitfulness in your life, and you're experiencing the blessing. but you know what? It came at a cost. You had to quarrel, you lost some friends along the way. But that's OK. I did. I had all these friends, and I realized they weren't friends, they were acquaintances. As long as we enjoyed doing the same things, then they were all happy. As soon as we, I started getting serious, see you later. Wow. But that's okay, because you know what? God made room for me. And I began to discover the depths of God. I began to get so fixated with Christ and seek God. And that's how it works, church. And that's when you begin to experience fruitfulness. And then there's that last place, Bersheba, where God appears to Isaac. And I can tell you now, church, you know, I, I, I got saved and we get saved or we come to knowledge of God and so forth. But as you seek God, there are, there are landmark moments in your life where God manifests himself to you personally. I can't, I've got a book at home and it's a little booklet and I, I, I think it's a treasure. It's called Christ Manifested. It was written by uh, an old preacher, oh, what's his name? Anyways, escape my mind, John Fletcher. And he talks about that if, if, when people begin to seek God seriously and dig uh, those wells, he says there comes a point. He can't tell you when. He can't tell you how. But it happens where God manifests himself to you in a real mighty way. And that becomes a moment in your life where you experience the reality the, the truth, not, now, not just not, not something you've heard about. Job, when he, heard, when he met God face to face, he said, I've heard of you, now I've seen you. Woe is me. Because when you come to that place where Christ manifests himself to you and you feed off that, I tell you, it's precious, church. Precious. And that's why we're here this morning, because, because we're all drinking from the same well and we all know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, then you're going to have to learn to dig. You're going to have to re-dig. The wells. And so it was there, the Bible says, that uh, Isaac at Bathsheba, where Isaac built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. That's where he stayed and lived. He lived there at that place. And, you know, I was thinking about that. The Bible says we have an altar. Hebrews says we have an altar. And it's talking about bearing the reproach of Christ and going outside the camp. Because as long as you're inside the camp and you're compromised, you don't even know what that altar is. You have to go outside the camp. You have to come to a place where you bear the rejection, where you bear the reproach, where you have had to quarrel, where you've made some enemies. And you say, Lord, all I have is you. But that's that's all I need. And you have an altar. And that altar is Christ, hallelujah. And you were in fellowship with him, sweet fellowship, the secret place that we were talking about. All of these things. And we live there. We dwell there. Praise the Lord. You're following me this morning. I pray God is speaking to hearts. You see, God manifests himself in a real, deep and profound way. He shows us his covenant. He manifests himself to us. And though we still dwell in the valley of Gerar, and we're through, we travel as pilgrims through the rolling country of Gerar, which is the, this world, the ups and the downs, we have a well, we have an altar, we have a source of life. Praise the Lord. Isaac experienced and learnt this lesson as his father Abraham had done. And I want to ask the question this morning to those that it may be relevant to. Have you? Have you redug those wells? Can you identify with this process? Can you identify with these principles? Because if not, then you're too, you're, I would say to you, you're too busy compromised in the world because when you get serious for God, this is how it works. How do I know? Because this is what the scripture reveals. That's how I know. I know what the scripture teaches and I know my own experience and it goes exactly in the same context. That's why I can stand here this morning and preach and teach this. And there's such such pleasure in this this morning. And uh, I want to make the point that we can't live in the experiences of others. We have to draw near to God ourselves. You know when Abraham was at Sheba, he planted a tamarisk tree and the significance of that tree is, is it an evergreen tree and it's there that he called on the name of the everlasting God and God is eternal amen. God is everlasting amen. and it doesn't matter where it is and whatever it is that's going on we can come to that altar, we can come to God and uh, that that tree, that evergreen tree is symbolic of the fact that we can draw life the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and that is that gives life to our mortal bodies and we, we begin to live and walk in the spirit and so we can't avoid Ezek Sitna Oreboth to get to this place of Bathsheba this morning. And so my question is, are you digging? Are you digging? Redigging the wells of your fathers. You see, let's I want to just close and look at the outcome of this. Look at verse 26. Then Abimelech, you know, this is the enemy that was told him to get away. This is the one that quarreled with him. Verse 26, Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Abuzath, one of his friends, and Pico, whoever it is, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Amen. Amen. That's what happens. I've had this happen. I've made enemies for the gospel's sake. And they've watched my life over years. And then they've come to me and said, I've, there's something. And I want what you've got. I can see it. What is it? It's God. And this is what's happening. See, we might make enemies along the way, but the Bible calls us to love our enemies. And so here it is, Isaac's testimony. They're watching him. And then they've come to him and said, look, <laughs> let's enter into a covenant. Let's, 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 let's join together. Because you're you're blessed. There's something about your life. Yeah, it's God. And so this is how it works, church. And so let our lives be lights that shine, that God may be glorified this morning. I trust the Lord has spoken to us. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, I pray that you would, God, seal the word, Lord. God, your word is living. My God, I pray that it would not fall by the wayside not through one ear and out the other, God, but let the rest resonate, Lord, in our hearts because this is profound spiritual truth, Lord. These are not just stories. They're written for admonition and instruction. They teach us valuable spiritual realities. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to individuals this morning because, Lord, we've had enough, Lord, of religion. We've had enough of formality. God, we don't want just the outward things. Lord, we need you. God, we want the fullness of Christ. We want, Lord, the fullness of the Spirit. We want the everlasting God to manifest, Lord, again, as you have in days past, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.